Hello, and welcome to Get Wrecked. I am your host, Louis Falgu. And I am your other host, Stephen Falgu. Get Wrecked is our podcast where every week I recommend something to Louis, and Louis recommends something to me, and then we discuss it. Louis, how has your last what is supposed to be two weeks, and I think kind of was about i mean it was you know like two and a half it's fine yeah yeah um you know they were just dandy and and one of the reasons for that was that i was um i was listening to um much great material um by many artists i don't know what i'm talking about i think i was trying to make a reference to what you gave me but then i kind of just like (laughs) fell off of it so yeah I was listening to music. I had a great time. Our listeners probably don't realize this, but actually all we do is this podcast. Yeah. So in between recordings of the podcast, we're just continually listening to, watching, whatever it is, the thing that we recommend each other nonstop until the next podcast. Well, it's very important to us. Um, we put a lot into this show and, um, you know, as you can see by our pictures on the YouTube oh, yeah. video. Which haven't changed for three years. Which, by the way, um, I realized recently that this this podcast has been going for almost three years. When we reach, listen, we need to make sure, and I'm saying it live so that we don't mess it up, even though we still will and it'll be even worse because now I said it live. But we need to make sure we get an episode on our anniversary. We have to. We don't, we don't have a choice. If we don't do it, nobody will ever watch us again. We'll have to cancel the show. Do you happen to know when the anniversary is? No. Me neither. <laughs> cool. No, it's okay. You know what? I can I can do some research, all right? I it says somewhere. Anyway, it was November or something. I feel like it was like November or December. But it doesn't matter. I mean, like, look, even if we somehow manage to miss it, which of course we won't, because we're always on time with everything, um, we we are now past the halfway point of this show's lifespan. As we said, episode 100, it's over. It's dead. Never again. Okay, that's when Get Wreck 2 starts, okay, after episode 100. So, like, we're already past that halfway point, and that's pretty impressive when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're uh, over the hill, as they would say. Over the hedge. 50 and thriving, so... Episode 51, it's a big milestone. Yeah. Most podcasts don't even get to episode one. (laughs) And ours is in episode 51. You know, when you really think about it, it just might make sense. They're all still stuck in the conceptualization phase. It's just a whole bunch of people in a boardroom whiteboarding, trying to figure out what their podcast is going to be, and it just can never get off the ground. Yeah. Well, but Lewis and I were only in a boardroom for two months before our podcast started. Yeah. And we did have another podcast idea, which I still am vying for it to be Get Wrecked 2. And that is a creepypasta reading podcast. I think that we have to do that. I think that Get Wrecked 2 is going to be a new direction for us. It's going to be a new, exciting direction for our fans. You're going to hear Jeff the Killer a couple times it'll be really cool we'll do like rate we'll do like a radio you know where we'll like record a couple of creepy stories and then we'll just play them endlessly for 24 hours on stream so get ready for that i guess 
so, so just to be clear, this is like an audiobook? Yeah, it's an audiobook, pod- but it's live. Okay, our live audiobook. And a podcast, also. <laughs> anyway. Okay. I'm down. I think, um, with all that said, and with all that excitement built up for where, where the show is going in the future, uh, I think we should stick to where we are in the present, which leaves us with what you recommended to me last time, Stephen, if you would like to explain it. Which is funny, because... What I recommended to you to you is called Herded in a Past Life. So actually, we're going into the future past. Present future uh, past. The pu- present future past. Yeah. Uh, Lewis, last time I recommended to you the Maggie Rogers album, Herded in a Past Life. This was her breakout album, although she did have some kind of like small studio, very indie release things. This came out of... And we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But this came out of like this giant wave of news media, social media presence. Like, I don't think anyone in a very long time has been as pushed forward by the media as Maggie Rogers has. And it all kind of started with this master class where Pharrell Williams went to NYU. I think it. Yeah, I think it was NYU. It was one of the New York universities. I'm pretty sure it's NYU. And Maggie Rogers was in that class. And as a part of the master class, which you can actually go on YouTube and watch, Pharrell listened to all of the students' pieces. They all brought forward a, a piece of music. And Maggie Rogers brought forward Alaska, which is on this album. And it basically brought Pharrell to tears. Uh, Pharrell essentially said that he has never heard nor will ever hear anything like Maggie. He compared her to, um, he compared her to Wu-Tang Clan uh, in that you can't say if you like or dislike her music, you can't, you just listen to it and experience it because it's so transcendent. Um, After that, Maggie Rogers blew up and like everyone was followed her all the way out to this album. So with that, Lewis, I'll hand it over to you to talk about Maggie Rogers' Heard It in a Past Life. You know, it's kind of crazy to be handed the, the for you to trade off like that because <laughs> I had this was not information that I knew. I you know, and I didn't think it would be. So right. that's why I thought it was interesting, especially <laughs> because and but sorry before before you start, especially because last week we talked about an album that also had a lot of Pharrell influence and Rostam, but Manglish was on, which he also does some work on this album as well. So it's kind of a weird segue between the two anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. You know, as always, I, I, I try not to look too much into the stuff that I'm recommended just as Steven does, although occasionally I get curious, but I wasn't really curious with this one. And I, I find that story is absolutely wild to me. I mean, Pharrell's, assuming that you quoted Pharrell correctly there, which I'm assuming you did, or at least closely, um, I don't know. What? (laughs) That quote confuses the hell out of me for multiple reasons. Uh, One of the main ones being, uh, if you said that about Wu-Tang, that's a weird way to put it. Um, And it's an even weirder way to put it for... I think it was Wu-Tang. The, the concept, maybe I should rephrase, the concept was more like, at the time, 
at least the way Pharrell expressed it. It's like at the time when Wu-Tang came out, and I, again, I'm pretty sure it's Wu-Tang, at the time when they came out, um, the way that he conceptualized it was that like it was so new that it uh, was polarizing. Right. So opinions of it were very black and white because it was such a new entity. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how he compared her music and specifically the track Alaska that was not the full album at the time. It was just that one specific track, but yeah, you can see it. It's on YouTube. It's uh pretty interesting. Okay. So I, okay, well then that's a definitely much more agreeable way to, to put it. I, I suppose you paraphrased him unflatteringly. Um, that being said though, the comparison seems completely bunk. Um, so, okay. So, when I was listening to, you know, what, what this really struck me as uh, is, like, it feels like the most, like, Spotify pop music out there. The, the kind of thing that, like, is modern wallpaper music. It's, like, yeah, it's, like, pleasant. It's, like, produced with competence. Um, and it's eminently listenable in the sense that you could put any of these tracks on any playlist and they'd fit in. Well, not any playlist, but on any like um, normal ish Spotify playlist and they'd probably fit in. Um, But like at the same time, I fail to see a single way that this album sets itself apart from anything. A A single way. I mean, on one hand, you have, um, I guess you could look at it from a few different angles. You could look at like the songwriting, you could look at the lyrics, you could look at the performance, you could look at the production, and in every single way, it's pretty run-of-the-mill. Um, like, Maggie Rogers is a very good singer, for sure, although does she blow all of her contemporaries out of the water? Or if we can even call them contemporaries, I guess she's fairly mainstream now. Um, no... Uh, lyrically, is there anything really interesting going on here? Well, I mean, there's a number of songs, or actually a, a good amount of the album is about how um, her fame has changed her, uh, which, you know, is something. But it also is kind of just like, well, it's the big debut, I suppose. And so you talk about how your um, your debut has impacted your life, or working on your debut has impacted your life, and it's kind of meta in that way, but... I mean, again, not really anything terribly um, impressive on that front either. And then if we're just talking about the one song, Alaska, like, maybe I uh, don't know when the song was made because it sounds like it was made a while before this album came out or the song was being worked on. Maybe maybe it was. Yeah, it was like years. I think the single Alaska dropped in like 2016. And for reference, this okay. album came out in 2019. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, then then what I was going to say is true then. Uh, it, it can't, I was going to say, I really doubt that it could have come before the advent of like spacey pop music, uh, spacey atmospheric kind of breathy pop music that, you know, somebody like Lord pioneered years before that. And it, it's kind of just that. Um, with a bit of a uh, a bit of a um, folkier side to it, like um, sort of like an indie pop uh, little folk guitar kind of strumming away. Um, although it's only an additional detail on top of the very generic and generally dull 
pop production, um, particularly the percussion sounds, which I found especially like just in one ear out the other kind of thing. It's like an album where I don't really feel like there were any additional sonic details placed into the production that really made me perk up and go like, oh, wow, that was really creative or that was really interesting. It's all just very much like you get what you get with it. Um, A lot of the songs are fairly tuneless. They don't really have a very strong core melody a lot of the time. It kind of just relies on her ability to sing really well, which she does, but not often to very sticky or interesting melodies on the vast majority of tracks. And then the one last thing I want to mention that I find I find also especially generic is, of course, there also is a piano ballad on it. Um, and the piano ballad is as drab as a piano ballad ever was. Although additionally odd, because I feel like they play, they produced her voice super dry. They didn't even really give her much reverb on her voice to make her sound like she was really in the same space as the piano. So it's a little bit jarring on that track. Um yeah, and I mean, other than that, like, I'm not going to call out any bad production uh, choices. One, I just feel like it's pretty boring on that front overall. Yeah, so so one thing I want to mention, uh, and maybe why her journey is so interesting, is that the masterclass was really around, like, music production. And specifically, you called out the production of the tracks. Maggie Rogers really did the entire end-to-end process for her for her whole album. She had kind of some co-producers, like... As I mentioned, uh, Rostam was on this. Uh, Greg Kirsten is on most of the tracks. Uh, But for the most part, she is the primary songwriter, um, uh, lyricist, uh, obviously singer. She's doing most of the instrumentals. She also does most of the production. So all that was kind of on her plate. Yeah. I don't think that I don't think that changes anything. I just wanted to put that out there because I think that is an also like a part that was an interesting something interesting to watch as obviously the social media presence and like all the media backing that came behind this thing really rose her to this crazy level of prominence to the to where a lot of what you talk about how a lot of the lyrical or a lot of the lyrics and most of the songs are about her fame and like talking about her fame it's because really she kind of came out of nowhere and got accelerated to this absolutely absorbent degree and so so obviously it's like there's this gigantic pressure the entire time going into this album it's just such a weird cultural thing and you mentioned that a lot of the tracks here sound very like spotify pop and it really is i mean although she did i think this album got to pretty high in the billboards. The album sales were incredibly, incredibly low. Not that album sales are like really ever that high anymore, but the Spotify plays were astronomical. And when that Alaska single dropped on Spotify, like the plays on that alone are insane. And really she kind of pioneered that entire sound, not entirely. As you mentioned, there's definitely influence from Lord and others, but like that very specific Spotify pop really can, I will say, be traced back to to Maggie. And as this album came out, it's like now it's like it sounds almost entirely like everything else on Spotify because the lag time between that original single release and her entire album dropping so many other artists came out with things that sound so similar, but it all really comes back to 
originally hurt. And I think that's kind of where what Pharrell saw in that original piece. And specifically, it's kind of that like folk electro pop sort of thing that she has, which I do think is pretty specific to her. I I don't know if it's like, as Pharrell would call it, like never been heard before. Um, even just like, again, looking specifically at Alaska or maybe also Falling Water, which is by far my favorite on this album. Um, but you can definitely see where at the time, and again, this would have been even before 16, actually. This would have been like 2014, maybe even earlier than that. You can kind of understand where a lot of that like inspiration and then going forward and like, becoming this kind of progressive movement for Spotify as a platform, how all that kind of fell on her shoulders. Now, with that being said, looking at the album holistically, I do agree that it definitely has a lot of problems. I don't think that the production on a lot of the songs are really not, is really not that great. Like, I feel like the mixing is pretty bad on a lot of the tracks. And as you mentioned already, like the piano ballad is pretty dry, like weirdly dry, honestly. Like, I feel like she probably should have just had a second take, maybe drink a glass of water first or something. But for the most part, I actually quite enjoy a lot of the tracks here. And I think a lot of the tracks here really do have some inspiration. Um, Alaska being one, Falling Water being another. Uh, I like Give a Little, although that's pretty generic poppy. But some of the worst tracks on here, as you mentioned, are like the Piano Ballad. There's one track on here I don't looking at the track list, I don't remember the name of it, but the one that's basically just like a 90s R&B song out of nowhere, like very, very specifically influenced by 90s R&B. Some of those tracks really don't fit even in the album as a whole and just I don't feel like should make, should have made the album in general. Okay, yeah, I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's um, some innovation here. But even then, I'd kind of have to push back a little bit. Although I, you know, don't keep up with mainstream pop music too much. Um, I definitely have heard enough lately to have recognized, oh, this sounds like everything I've ever heard. But I will grant that, you know, uh, maybe when she started working on this stuff and started releasing material from it, maybe it was a little bit different then. Although even there, I feel like there are other... um, there are other like pop artists who had explored sounds that are fairly similar to this. And if anything, she may have just kind of diluted them. Although then again, I think this sound is fairly diluted to begin with, but the whole thing with like mixing um, uh, folky uh, strummy guitars, uh, plucky guitars um, with like um, synths and electronics and a more like um, uh, pop, uh, softer pop sort of sound is something that I would even say Imagine Dragons was doing on like their earliest stuff, which would have been like two years before this. And I don't think they're super similar. And also, I think Maggie, Maggie Rogers is better. Um, but I don't know that there are like any really distinct ideas in here that are unique. More so, perhaps it is true that the way that she combined a lot of those influences. Um, was unique for the time or, or was new. And that's totally possible. I'm willing to to grant that, especially if a lot of this stuff was made and released, or at least some of it or any of it was made and released back in like 2014. Because if that is true, um, like then I can definitely see that she spurred on a lot of that extra material. Though I would like to say um, that uh, I've heard um, like uh, sort of folktronica, indie pop, 
um, made before this from places like Bandcamp that I think actually sounds kind of like what she's going from here, just a, a lot better. Um, I'll shout out a very, very small artist, Cheerax Destructor, who um, uh, her album from 2013, uh, Lost No Longer, actually uh, reminded me of this, but just a lot, lot better. Um, but there are a lot of mixture sounds. I guess it's just kind of like, so uh, granting her that she did something really, really unique um, and... Um, uh, or, 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 or sorry, uh, really innovative and really influential. Um, that is definitely cool. But I will say that what, what she did influence is a style of pop music that I find very, very dull. Um, I think that despite the, um, the I think, uh, st- strong amount of competence on like every level here, even production, and I, I don't agree that the mixing isn't good. I think the mixing is, is, is very professional. I just think it's really kind of flat. Um, I don't think there's a ton of space in it, but I also don't think it's super cluttered. I mean, like, if, if she did the vast majority of the production here, she's good. Um, I could see her finding success producing for other artists as well, for sure. Um, if she self-produced a lot of this, then yeah, definitely. I mean, even if she didn't, like, she clearly has a lot of talent there, and she could totally uh, do that work for other pop artists. I could see that working out really well. So in all those ways, like, I think there's a lot of competence. I'm not using the word competence to demean it. I actually think that... Um, She's clearly very good at a lot of these things. I just don't think that the songwriting is there. I don't really think that um, the even the creativity is really there. Even if it is innovative, it doesn't really feel particularly creative to my ears um, or particularly adventurous. And um, especially when you get to like the middle of this album, where a lot of the songs just get so incredibly dull, uh, if they weren't already... Um, uh, so I want to say, uh, though, that I do like one song. I like the song The Knife. I think The Knife is good. I like the hook to The Knife. I think the hook is actually really strong here. Um, just generally, it comes across a lot more um, energetic. It's not quite as like, oh, that's so dull uh, as a lot of other tracks. So that's uh, probably the one shining moment on this album. But other than that, I just don't really think that any of it stood out to me. Okay, so you want to wrap it up? Uh, yeah, if you're done, sure. So, um, okay, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I basically just did, I suppose. I, I don't know, it's like, yeah, it's, maybe, uh, maybe Maggie Rogers uh, uh, invented the art of Spotify pop. That's cool. Um, and uh, I think she'll find success in a lot of different avenues, maybe even solo. And it's very possible that she'll take her music further and make some really great stuff in the future. That's always a possibility, especially considering the obvious talent that she does have on a lot of different levels. But as for this debut, I think it's really dull. Um, and I'm going to give it a flat five. I don't recommend it for any reason. Uh, I quite like this album, although I will say it definitely has its problems. And I definitely agree with you. I think that whatever she does next, I have a suspicion is going to be stronger than this. He's already released another single. Um, I'm sure with everything going on in the world that any album is on hold if there is one to come. But with all that being said, I think I give it something around a seven-ish. I like a lot of the tracks on here. There are definitely tracks that are a lot weaker. I think that Maggie has a ton of talent. Um, I know that we've talked about uh, Haim before, or Haim, and obviously there's a lot of influence back and forth there. So because I like that, I definitely like this. I guess and... that explains because I didn't like that. I don't like this then, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
But I mean, I would, I don't know if I'd recommend the album. I would definitely recommend listening to the most popular singles off of this thing. But on the most, on the whole, I don't think you need to listen to it as an album format. Listen to it on a Spotify playlist somewhere, and I think you're good. Cool. Okay, so do we move on? Yep, let's move on. Okay, so last episode, I recommended to you, Stephen, progressive metal band, or alternative metal, progressive metal band, uh, Tools, 2001 album, Lateralis. Uh, This is, I would say, their most critically and fan-acclaimed album. Um, Very um, mathematical, very intricate, very um, complex, and uh, definitely one of the, I think... Uh, standout examples from the progressive metal genre and just prog music post, you know, the 1970s. Uh, this is definitely one of the standout albums, and uh, I will let you take it from there. Oh man, I don't know how what I think about this thing. I definitely can see where it has some highs. I will say that it's like listening to this on kind of like in the background doesn't really do it justice. I had to sit down and have like a actual just straight listen to it, not doing anything else to kind of try to unwind it. But even when I did that, I just didn't really enjoy what this album put forward. I don't think I like the band tool. I don't think I like the lead vocals. I prog, metal just metal in general has never really vibed with me um so as it like got into some of the tracks that are just like purely instrumentals or tracks where it just gets a little more metal than not they just didn't really do anything for me now i will say i think that there are some highs here like uh the mixing is super good this is 2001 it feels straight out of 2001 that is 100 percent for sure a lot of it's so blown out but in kind of the best way and i will say i mean the instrumental tracks they definitely have a lot of instrumental ability but for the most part i can't even tell you a track that i think i liked off of this but at the same time why why i said i like didn't know how i feel about it is because it's like Although I don't like any tracks off of this, I feel like I would listen to it again. And I don't know if that's because I just like the pain or if it's because I still think there's something deeper in this thing that I don't understand. I know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of like a lot of little mystery box sort of things going on in here. But for the most part, I never really care about any of that stuff. So because of that, it's like I don't really know if I actually would listen to it or not. But there are some singles on here that I would play on, like Guitar Hero. That's for sure. Yeah, they actually were on uh, one of the Guitar Hero games and uh, nothing else ever again. Um, they also only came to Spotify, like, last year. Um, so they've, they're have they definitely an enigma. I, I, uh, I took forever to get around to listening to Tool, but it was always, like, something that a lot of people talk about. You know, they have a, a, a very... Um, a very passionate fan base. And I think one of the reasons for that is the mystery box thing that you mentioned, because that's a, a, a thing with all of their records. All of their records are like, you always can tell they're hiding stuff in there, that there's like something that they're not telling to you, that there's something weird going on. Um, 
I think of their first album, Undertow, which has some of their biggest uh, early hit single songs you probably know, like Sober. You probably know Sober. You've probably heard it before um, and stuff like that. Uh, and that album has this uh, stupid joke where they gave it 69 tracks, but tracks like 10 to 68 are just one second of silence and then the final tracks on 69. And it's not funny at all, but like it's the first element where you're like, they're just doing weird stuff with the format. Then on their second album, there's like almost every single song is interspersed with some weird interlude. Um, and it's done so confusingly. It almost like leaves you wondering like, what does this mean? Um, but I, you know, in both of those cases, I think those are very goofy. And I think they're done in a way that really detract from those records. Maybe not Undertow. I guess having 69 tracks and a bunch of silence is just stupid. But it doesn't really affect too much since hidden tracks are already a thing anyway. I guess having to sit through silence is kind of something you expect from a 90s CD. But, like, the thing about Anima with all the interludes is just ridiculous. Uh, it doesn't help the album. It makes it flow really awkwardly and weird. Lateralis, though, and this is... Th- Uh, This is the thing that I think is cool about Lateralis, actually, and the way that they did it on this album is that I think that the the intricacies to this record, the things that there are there to explore, actually enhance the concepts of the songs. They're actually related to the lyrics. They're actually related to the the uh, the themes of every track. Um, For example, there's the very famous um, example of the title track Lateralis, which is. which every uh, lyrical phrasing is set up so that they are um, in the same syllables as the Fibonacci sequence. And then, like, each uh, phrase is like... I don't remember the actual math behind it, but there's, like, a point at which um, um, they mention a spiral, and it is at that exact time frame, which is, like, the same numbers as the golden ratio. So there's, like, all these, like, weird little things in that song where it's, like... But the but all those little mathematical elements are actually related to the lyrics of the track, where the track is talking about how um, uh, the overanalyzing of nature into a mathematical format um, is... Um, is something that we should avoid and we should allow randomness to happen. But then the band is ironically um, actually overanalyzing the very structure of nature by writing their song in such a specific way that it has to meet up with like all of these mathematical formats. You also have something like Schism, which is a song about a, a, um, a relationship gone bad because of a schism. So something bad that happens between two people. Um, in this case, it's like passive aggression. Um, and the song is written in this confusing um, time signature that keeps abruptly like going back on itself, like as if there's a schism in the time signature. Um, and a bunch of little stuff like that, where it's like actually reading into and looking for all the little... Um, little uh, clever things or weird things that they put into every song and the way that they wrote every song is actually related to what they're talking about on that song, which I think is uh, at least conceptually really cool. Like, on paper, I think it is rad that they managed to do that, and I think that it's good they managed to do it in a way that's actually, like, saying something. Because it's one thing to write a song in the Fibonacci sequence and, like, to say a spiral at, you know, the time of the golden ratio and all that crap. It's like, yeah, okay, like, it sounds really impressive, but you can structure a song so that it does that. It it can't be the hardest thing in the world. But to actually write the song in a way that then relates to that and makes that kind of thing relevant is legitimately um, a pretty cool thing. And 
that's where I think Tool kind of transcends, I think, the goofiness of the stuff before this that I don't really vibe with um, and does something more serious using the same kind of mysterious and enigma kind of um, tactic that they did in the earlier work. And I do think that is pretty impressive. Yeah, I do think, I mean, as you mentioned, conceptually, I think that's interesting. But again, it's like, I, at the end of the day, it's one of those things where it's a cool thought experiment and they obviously put a lot of work into it, but I don't think it makes the actual songs here any better. Like, it's just kind of a thing that's like, oh, that's neat. So ultimately it's like, Whenever stuff like that comes out, I'm like, that's a cool thing that you did, but I don't really care all that much, to be honest. Yeah, well, and I stopped myself there because uh, I agree. <laughs> like, that's the thing. So it's like, okay, I uh, I wanted to go into here giving a lot of credit to this album because I think this album is, is good. Like, I think this is a good album. Um, and I've talked a lot, a lot of shit about this album and Tool in general because I think they're the funniest band in the world. I think there is no band that is funnier to make fun of than Tool, okay? Like, the idea... Me, the name. Yeah, even the name. And the way that it's, like, all, in all caps everywhere they put it, like, on Spotify, it's TOOL in all capital. It's just fucking funny. Like, there's something about the... the um, I don't know it's just there's something goofy about the way that they do things like the, the even though i praised uh the title track the title track for um writing it in the fibonacci sequence and making that a clever thing it's still funny as fuck that they wrote a song in the fibonacci sequence and there were a bunch of people who were like holy shit it's like yeah i mean lots of prog metal bands like write their stuff in weird time signatures it's like that's just what you do when you're a modern progressive rock or metal band is you write stuff in weird time signatures because that's what prog is i guess um so i mean the fact that they did that in a structured way doesn't make it like immensely more impressive and which is the reason why i do want to give credit to the fact that you know that it wasn't just that there was a reason to do that i think that's good um but yeah my, i think my main problem with tool though and this is the thing that uh, bugs me about all of their material, including this album, although I do think this is their best work for sure, um, is that, like, their approach to songwriting is really adventurous. It's really um, experimental. It's very um, unpredictable. And I really like that. It's another thing I really like on paper. But the problem is that Tool never manages to really make that stick. They never. It's very, very rare that they write a song that progresses in a genuinely satisfying way. Because, you know, it's one thing to go a lot of places and to write, play in a bunch of different time signatures and to do all this cool musical interplay. But if at the end of your song, or if at the end of any given section, I'm not satisfied, I don't feel like that buildup actually went anywhere, or I don't feel like that, um, like, um, like that tension was released appropriately, then you kind of just feel blue-balled. Which is, like, the way I feel about a lot of the songs on this record, despite the fact that I'm enjoying what they're doing moment to moment, I never feel like there's actually a great release of that tension that they're building. Um, a good example of this is actually my favorite song here, The Grudge, which is the opening track. I think that the uh, tension building, I think that the... Um, the, the writing of this song, the unpredictability of some of the time signature plays on this song, and um, the way that it'll like go quiet and loud at just random intervals in confusing ways is really, really cool. Um, and they do have two moments of, of um, 
of climax towards the end that are both fantastic, one of which involves, like, Maynard just screaming for almost a minute, and it's really insane, like, that he managed to do that, assuming that there was no overdub. And then, like, this really great um, release at the very end of the track. But for, like, the entire, like, seven minutes before that point, this song just keeps building and then not releasing over and over and over again. And it kind of gets to the point where you're like, God, like, you could have taken three minutes out of that this song, and both of those climaxes would have felt so much better. Like, and... Same thing with like Schism, by the way, which Schism also has a has a, a pretty solid uh, climax towards the end of the song that then kind of just fizzles out. Um, and it's another thing where it's like, yeah, okay, you finally released the tension, but when you did, it only really lasted for a short period of time. And then the song kept going, but it felt like it was something else was going to happen and nothing did. And that happens so much throughout this record. Like, uh, the only real exception I can think of is the title track Lateralis, which I think the, the finale to that song is just immense and is really, really awesome. But I think the first part of that song where they're writing the words in the Fibonacci sequence is just fucking goofy. Like, it sounds so stupid. Um, and it's just a really good thing that I like the hook and that I like that finale. Because otherwise, the song is is just pretty, I don't know, it's just kind of stupid to listen to, even though it is intelligent on paper, you know? Yeah. I definitely agree. And I'm also learning from Wikipedia that apparently the song Mantra is just a slowed down version of him squeezing one of his cats. Yeah. Yes, that is that is right. Oh, that's another thing. So this album also has interludes, uh, two one minute interludes, and they both surround the song The Patient, which is like my least favorite song on the record. Um, and both of these interludes, aside from being completely pointless, like every tool interlude, they're also the only two interludes. So you get track one, then you get an interlude, then you get the patient, then you get an interlude, and that's it. No more interludes. Unless you count, like, some of the quieter songs, like per- like uh, Parable or a Disposition, which, you know, they are definitely lulls in the track list, though I wouldn't really call them interludes. They're not instrumental, and um, I don't know. If you want to classify them, them that way, you could, but they're not interludes in the same way that Mantra and the other one, Eon Blue Apocalypse or whatever are. It's just so weird to me that you would, like, surround a song, especially, like, The Patient, which isn't even that good of a song, in two short interludes and then never do it for the rest of the album. It's just very weird. They did have two minutes and 14 seconds of silence on one of the tracks. Oh, yeah, on Triad before the finale fight day whatever. That's right. I forget about that. So I don't know if you would count that. <laughs> no, that's like a hidden track. Uh, look, it's like, it's like, okay, so, so again, I want it to be fair because I've talked too much shit about this band before. Um, again, I do think this album is good. Like, I think that these flaws aren't, aren't like destructive. I don't think they ruin the album. I think that there's a lot of enjoyable stuff going on here. And I do think that listening to this can actually be kind of transcendent if you put yourself in the right mindset. Like a song like Schism, I think is just brilliant conceptually. I think it's incredible conceptually. I think listening to it, it's good. Uh, the the weird bass line is cool, um, but like conceptually, it is brilliant. And if you really lock yourself into what the band is talking about on that song, and you try to like listen from that angle, it can definitely make the song better. Uh, same goes with a, a number of tracks. Um, and even aside from that, I do think like they their adventurousness in this album is really really commendable um, and is really impressive, and it comes across well in songs like Triad, which is the in- the big like instrumental piece here, which is a really cool track. It's very enjoyable, um, as are a lot of moments on the record. You know, uh, 
And uh, it is, uh, the final thing I want to say positively about it is that I do think they do a good job uh, making this album flow well. Uh, I did mention those two interludes being weird, but, you know, it's only two minutes of the album. Overall, I feel like it actually flows quite well. It ebbs and flows pretty nicely. They have, like, the softer songs that go into louder songs um, to keep things interesting. I really like the way Parabol and Parabola are stitched together. I think that part is really exciting. Um, and there's a number of, uh, of of good flow like that across the record. Um but uh, yeah, it's just like, I guess for me, whatever high concept brilliance a lot of the fans are hearing in this record is just not really translating to me. Yeah, I agree about the flow, and I would also, I think I mentioned it before, but the instrumentation here is really good. The drumming, the guitar and bass work, a lot of that stuff on most of these tracks is really, really good. I mean, incredible, especially the drumming. Um, oh yeah the drum yeah danny carey is nuts he is such a good drummer and i will say like that that was the thing that really hooked me and probably the reason why i might listen to it again is strictly the instrument instrumentation not really any of the other fluff but all of that is just like so good um that it's like that alone is worth a listen i feel like yeah um and i guess i guess i will just conclude finally that although i think some of their concepts here are silly um, I do, again, I appreciate that they tie it all in. And I think that on a song like Schism in particular, I think that the uh, there's actually a lot of cleverness to it. So it's like, yeah, I can give this album a lot of credit. It's like clearly a good album. I, I don't think that um, that people are insane for rating this super highly and for thinking this is like some kind of masterpiece because, you know, if, if, if it's musically translating to you, then yeah, sure, I could see you calling it that. I mean, at, like... There are a lot of impressive things about it, and there are a lot of um, really intricate things about it, and I think that's cool. Um, but for me, in a prog album, what I'm I'm not I don't just want to hear you show me all your high concepts. I don't just want to hear you show me your musical interplay because that stuff's great, but it has to be in service of really great songs. And I feel like songwriting wise is where they kind of drop the ball here sometimes, um, when compared to like the prog from I think the classic eras and a lot of the earliest bands who did things uh, in a much more enjoyable way um and even in a more expressive way honestly i think there's moments of this that are kind of flat uh so it's you know but it is a prog metal album and it is good and that is an enormous accomplishment (laughs) because my god um not a great genre um and i think we should wrap it up but i will pose the question to you steven is this better than dream theater Ooh, I'd have to think on that. Let me get back to you next week when we talk about Dream Theater. (laughs) Yeah, Dream Theater 2, baby. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I'll start wrapping it up. I mean, as I mentioned, I think that the concept is a little bit interesting. The instrumentation is amazing, but as a whole, I'm just kind of like, none of the tracks really hit me or vibed with me. As I mentioned, I'm not really a big fan of progressive metal or really metal in general. So this was probably something that was like doomed from the start, doomed from the onset. Although I will say it's like, I enjoyed listening to this more than I've enjoyed listening to some others. And I will say that I would probably listen to it again, which is kind of weird because I'm going to give it something around a four just because it did not click with me. But I do think that I could see why it clicks with some people for sure. I don't personally recommend it, but 
you know, listen to whatever you want to listen to, I guess. Yeah, um, so I definitely come away a little bit more positively. I'm no fan of Tool, uh, but this is their best album. This is a good record, um, and uh, there's impressive things about it. I would give it a 7. Um, and would I recommend it? I mean, no. <laughs> listen to other prog, maybe. Uh, like, you know, you, you want to go listen to some prog? I don't know. We talked about Genesis. Go listen to them, or maybe Pink Floyd or something, you know. I mean, you can, you can just not worry about this. Uh, unless you want to. I mean, if you're looking for prog metal, then yeah, b- b- listen to this. Um, and, and only this. And you're good. Like, we talked about Dream Theater, uh, Images and Words, the classic. And in comparison to that, this is this is a masterpiece. Okay, so, like, this is nowhere near as dull and drab as that. Um, and the fact that they're using their high con- high concept instrumentation and lyrics and things like that for an actual purpose already puts them above Dream Theater. So, like, credit where credit's due. Uh, you beat Dream Theater. Congratulations. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I say I don't recommend it. I don't know. Maybe I do. If you like metal, this is probably, like, really great. Um, but if you like, like, classic prog, I don't know that tool really scratches that itch. Um, and that's pretty much all I have to say about that. If we're done with that, and we want to move to recommendations. Yep, sounds good. Okay, then you start. Okay. Lewis, I'm going to recommend you something. And it's going to be an interesting look back in the annals of history. In the annals of the history of the internet. Because honestly... The memories that this is going to bring back, the familiar faces that you're going to see as you consume this piece of media. Lewis, I'm recommending to you The Annoying Orange, a YouTube channel series. I'm going to recommend to you, obviously, the very first video. And then you can take your pick as maybe you want to watch some Annoying Orange and Tobuscus. Or maybe some Annoying Orange and Fred. It's really up to you. We'll just talk about the Annoying Orange in general next time. Am I allowed to watch the Annoying Orange Gangnam Style parody? Whatever floats your boat. Okay, great. Uh, Well, anyway. um, Awesome. So, Stephen, I'm recommending to you... Wait, what's the year? Hold on. If I don't get the year right, then there's no point. Um thought i had this up okay i'm recommending to you the album earth 2 by the band earth Uh, earth 2 came out in 1993 it uh, is actually the first full-length album by earth ironically um and uh it is a drone metal album um it is the first drone metal somebody does anybody know it's basically essentially the first drone metal album ever made um, and has been consistently considered one of the most influential albums um, in the world of whatever the fuck you call it uh, that Earth 2 is ever since. So we'll discuss that next time. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that does it for our episode today. Um, oh my god, I'm there's seeing, so much chat. I, I'm seeing in chat... Uh, someone is mentioning wannabe melon is mentioning the annoying orange tv show on cartoon network if there was an easy way to watch it i would definitely suggest you do so because what a timepiece that is but i think the easiest way to consume annoying orange is just to go to where it all began yeah where it all began 
where the where the magic the happened. Annoying orange, yeah, the annoying orange empire started. <laughs> it's it's uh it's the sad story of the fall of an ancient empire, you know. Um Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's exciting. Uh well as always everybody, we uh, we're on Castbox. I usually put these episodes up you know, within the same day or next day. Um, you can check us out there. We did do a bonus episode that I don't think a lot of y'all actually um, were notified of or noticed, uh, which is kind of my bad because I didn't actually put up any notifications for it anywhere. But yeah, we uh, talked about Hamilton again. Um, now that it's up on streaming, we talked about it more as a play as opposed to just the soundtrack album, which we talked about way long ago on this show. Um, and so if you want to check that out, you can uh, both hit that up on this channel and, of course, on CastBox as well. Uh, it's like 30 or so minutes, not terribly long. So if you're if you're dying for more get wrecked content, or you're just dying to hear about Hamilton, uh, then you can do that there. And um, other than that, I don't think I have anything else to say. Assuming that you don't. Nope. Okay, great. Well, um, then I guess that's it. Those were our thoughts. Those were our recommendations. Get wrecked. <laughs>